Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Hey, bartender. Welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I'm your bartender, the Dude, so that's what you call me. Uh, today, I've got a really cool show on. I have a special guest, author of the book Think Like a Bartender, uh, graduate of Texas Southern University, stand-up comedian, and obviously author. This show, I have L.D. Moreau. L.D. Moreau, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, this is this is incredible that you um, uh, contacted me to be on my uh, simple podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, Let's uh, let's start out talking uh, talking about a little bit about you, which, and then we'll cover more your about your book. Think like a bartender, uh, because it all kind of gels together. Um, so tell me, uh, where did uh, where did this all start for you? Uh, being a bartender uh, in your book, you talk about your college professor uh, cr- created an assignment where your you and your class had to become. Uh, service industry workers. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, thank you as well for having me on your podcast. I've been a fan for some time now, so I've heard a lot of your episodes and could chuckle at some of the, you know, similarities and things that I went through. So, you know, it just seemed like a perfect fit to try to reach out to you to speak a little bit about the book. Very cool. Um, yeah. So it all started. I was in. Uh, I was an undergraduate in college in Houston. Uh, at my school, Texas Southern University, and I had a professor who I guess I'll let remain nameless in case this was illegal or they got in trouble. <laughs> but, you know, they said the assignment for this semester, well, half of that semester was for everyone to get a job in the service industry. And, he, you know, he or she, they said, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you are a server or a host or a, you know, bartender, it didn't matter, but you need to be able to work in that industry because in order to be a, an effective communicator, um, my undergraduate was in communications. He said, not only do you have to be able to speak, and I guess I gave it away, he, not only do you have to be able to speak, but you have to be able to listen and interpret what people are saying. So, you know, I thought it was a pretty cool assignment. I thought, okay, so I'm looking around. And for me, the goal was to find a place where I liked the food and was close to where I lived. I got a good discount. Yeah. And I found this uh, pretty cool Irish pub. And um, I started out as a as a host. I mean, most of us, you know, when you join, you know, a bar, you're, you're the host. So I'm at the host station and kind of moving on to the server. You start shadowing here or there. And basically what happened was one day the bartender called out, you know, hey, I can't make it. I'm sick. Yeah. Right, no biggie. They check on the next bartender. Oh, no, I have something else going on. I can't do it. So, I mean, we were probably about an hour before five o'clock, which, you know, in Houston was like a happy hour time. 
And I think at the time the manager looked around and he looked at who he had and he chose me because one, he knew I was there for grades. So I wasn't going to mess anything up. And clearly if I'm in college, he thought, okay, you could probably have pretty good recall. So he just threw me in. We did a 30 minute crash course. He's like, okay, here's a 10 basic drinks. Uh, this is how you make a margarita. This is a Manhattan. Here you go. <laughs> Here are the glasses. You know, if you don't know anything, just run to the back. And I was like, okay. So that's how it started. And, you know, uh, it was great. People came in. I had, I had it for a while, the first 20 minutes, but every once in a while, someone would come in with something extremely creative or something I'd never heard of, especially back then. I was such a novice. And uh, right. if I didn't know, I just put the napkin in front of them and I said, I'll be right with you. And I ran to the back and I <laughs> asked someone or I looked through the book and I came back out. But uh, at the end of that night, I was exhausted, but I was just fascinated at uh, the ability to serve and the, all the different personalities that I met. So after that assignment, I ended up going to like a local bartending school, you know, taking the course, finishing and just, you know, bartending, you know, off and on throughout my undergrad. So that is really what started me in the bartending industry. So shout out to that professor. Yeah, that uh, that assignment is very unusual. And I, uh, I have he could to, have been lazy. He yeah. could have been lazy and was like, I don't want to do anything. Just go work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I it's, I just find it amazing that uh that to me, that's an assignment that's way outside the box to learn communication, and uh, interesting that they thought that up. Yeah, it was. It was. It was life changing for me. So I appreciate it. Now, at, in your book, at the beginning of every, almost every chapter that I, um, if I, or every chapter, is it? Um, you have a, a specific drink recipe to go along with that chapter. Now, I. Uh, if you listening to my show, you know I like to start off uh, every one every one of my shows with a with a drink. Do you have a drink recipe that you particularly uh, like, or uh, something unusual, something you made up, even? Oh wow! You know I do have several that I made up, but uh, you and the audience don't know me well enough, and I think they judge me by it. So I'm going to stick with what I uh, like, one of my mainstays. So. You were right. And it's actually at the end of each chapter, there's um, a recipe that's themed similar to whatever the title of the, the chapter is. But for me, I am a true uh, I'm a whiskey and a tequila girl, not at the same time, but, you know, Thank God. big whiskey. Yeah, big whiskey <laughs> drinker. Um, and I just love I mean, I just love a classic Manhattan. It is just, you know, there's so many iterations. And one of the things I did in the book was I tried to make it as simple as possible. So. You know, people would be like, oh, my God, what am I muddling? You know, I just wanted them to just have a good time. But, you know, a, a good Manhattan to me, you know, a couple ounces of whiskey, what about a half ounce of vermouth, sweet vermouth, dash or two of bitters. You know, I love a nice, you know, cherry for garnish. Um, you yep. know, you put it in the glass, you're straining it to a nice cocktail glass, add the dash of bitters. And I think I think that's just kind of a beautiful go to and I mean I can drink that whatever season you know sure. winter spring summer or fall so you know the Manhattan is kind of my my go-to for sure I have run into a, the occasional customer that requested a specific cherry are you okay with just the typical maraschino cherries behind the bar or do you like a specific um, cherry? I am but you know when you go because now most of my life is on the opposite side of the bar so it depends on the place you go to some places I mean they have like fancy their cherries up and you're like 
what is happening? Oh, well, this cherry has been sitting in, you know, <laughs> Earl of Grey. You know, like, damn, but it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great. But, you know, for me, just the simple maraschino cherry is, is great because I care more about, you know, the taste of, of the drink itself. But, uh, you know, I'm open to the to the creativity of whatever bartender is serving me at that time. Sure. We get bartenders, that's their pretty much their art. The term mixologist has been popping up a lot since I've started this podcast, but I'm not the type of person that would refer to myself as that. I'm, I'm just a bartender. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't either. No. <laughs> and I have some, I have some friends. I have several friends who are still in the active in the bartending industry. And if they choose mixologist, I'm like, I, I love it. That's fine. Yeah. You know, um, I typically am not taking smoke to anything I'm, I'm making, yeah. but you know, if you do that, I mean, it's it's still a great cocktail. Sure. Yeah, that's another thing that I've run into a lot is different presentations of how these drinks are served and the smoking the drink has mm-hmm. come up quite a bit. And the bars that I worked at in the past, we didn't have those available. Of course, back when I used to uh, bartend, you could uh, people could still smoke cigarettes in the bar. You can't do that anymore. Right, right. Uh, so that was the only way you're getting your drink smoked is if you were sitting next to somebody <laughs> with a mar- pack of Marlboros. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> How many different places did you uh, bartend or serve at or host at? Oh, gosh. Um, as a dual question, I think hosting, I probably was at maybe half a dozen, like five or six. Bartending, it was really only about three places because, as I said before, I was there for school. And it kind of got down to the point where I had to make a decision, you know, especially once I finished undergrad and went on into grad school. I'm like, okay, I, I really need this time now. So it started pulling me further and further away. And the funny thing is I never thought a bar would matter anymore after those couple of years of bartending. And, you know, as I said, it wasn't until I started to see a lot of the commonalities and what I was doing in corporate America or how I was handling my personal life to things I learned from behind the bar from, you know, and I think every every bartender remembers that one bartender that trained you that really showed you you know some some valuable things outside of the basics and you took a lot of those things with you throughout your life you know and I think that's that's what happened to me so it was it was just perfect that a couple years ago I started thinking about this project and all of that just started rushing back to me and I realized it actually never left oh absolutely Uh, even even to this day one of Technically, I've been working as a bartender for a little while, but uh, one of my the, my favorite people that I ever bartended with, she had been in uh, the bartending industry for way longer than me, and we're still friends to this day. And every once in a while, I'll still you know come to her for like social advice or something like that. I I actually interviewed her for this podcast, Shannon Moore, uh, a while back, and she's a lot of fun and has always has a great story along with it. But uh, sometimes you just got to go back to the well, you know, and get some advice. You know, even if you're not in the, not in that particular job anymore, if you trust that person, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, uh, in your book, you also talk a lot about uh, bar personalities. Now you had a basically a list of top bar personalities. First of all, I want to know how you came up with that list. Um, well, I did take somewhat of a. Um... I took a vote pretty much from a lot of my bartending friends and I actually want to, I want to back up a bit because I realized I want to at least tell your audience kind of what the book's about. So they'll kind of understand what all this, what we're talking about. Sure. Please. So, um, so think like a bartender really is a book that came from 
you know, me being a stand-up comedian and having some success, you know, some moderate success in New York at a couple of big comedy clubs. And then, you know, comedy is a late night gig and, and I have a corporate job. So when they're telling me they wanted me going at 1245 on a Tuesday, it got to be a bit much. So I was a little depressed and I thought, gosh, you know, how can I get basically paid to be myself? How can I still put this comedy to use without being on stage? And that's kind of where I mentioned to you earlier as I was sitting in a bar and I just started to see the things that were similar from the bartender's perspective to the regular person's perspective. So in the book, there's a lot of chapters. I have chapters called, you know, you have to know when to cut people off. And I talk about bartenders, how they look at the physical and non-physical characteristics of a patron before they have to make that decision to have that uncomfortable conversation. Sure. You know, and, and in your life, you had that person. It could be your husband, your wife, your, you know, now your ex, and you're looking at them and you're like, they're being annoying and I need to, you know, get them out of this bar of my life. So it's really the same concept. So, you know, chapters like that, I have a chapter called Stop Losing Weight, but it's weight, W-A-I-T, which means stop losing patience. So to, you know, you have to be very patient, you know, as, as a bartender when you're in the, you know, hospitality industry. So I'm that's really what the book is about. And after each chapter, there's a, a cocktail recipe that's themed based on that chapter. So um, I think offhand, like I have a chapter called um, you have to know when to cut people off. As I said before, mm. the recipe for that chapter is called, I meant what I meant, but it's M I N T. So it's yeah. kind of a, <laughs> a gin mint, you know, cocktail, or, you know, I, I have a, um, a drink called quality, and it's a Long Island iced tea, basically. So I didn't reinvent the wheel here. I took a lot of classic cocktails and just renamed them based on the chapter because I thought that would just help people remember them as well. Sure. Um, so that that's kind of really how, you know, how it all started. Um, I love the play on words that uh, that you used for uh, during the book. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And um, now what what did you ask me? No. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm drinking whiskey right now. So <laughs> oh, that, I apologize. For no, <laughs> that's completely okay to uh, drink with your bartender. So, uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, the uh, your top bar, your top bar personalities. Personalities, yeah. So most of the bartenders didn't know. Most times, I would just sit at bars, and I I frequent bars for a different reason. I actually am very comfortable at a bar. I do most of my writing and work and answering emails at a bar and it's not necessarily just throwing back cocktails. It's just the noise and the environment. It's very comforting to me. So I had a chance to sit at bars all over the United States, you know, while I was researching for this book and to watch people. And I would just make a couple of notes as I would leave the bar. And I started to notice they all fell into certain buckets. Mm -hmm. you, either, you either have that person that's really loud once they have a couple of drinks, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, in my book, uh, I have a character called the inebriated Einstein. You know, we all have seen that person. They come in and they have a few and then all of a sudden they are telling you everything you need to know. What was really in Capone's vault? What justification <laughs> is going on right now? Mm -hmm. What really happened to Whitney Houston? You're like, how do you know all this? So, you know, those characters I found them pretty much at every place that I would visit. So in the book, I am um, address five of the top um, characters that I've noticed at bars. And I kind of cross-referenced it with some of my bartending friends. And they were like, oh, absolutely. That person is there all the time. 
conversely, I listed the top five work personalities, you know, and, and this chapter is called you have to mix well with others. So again, kind of theme with the cocktail about you're not always going to be around people that you really like. So how do you handle these personalities? So that was, um, you know, it was really fun. And, you know, I, you know, the book, uh, and we'll talk about this later is, is, is out now in one form and it'll be out, you know, this later this week in a couple other forms. So I know some of my friends will be like, was this me that you're talking about? But, you know, I mean, <laughs> mom's a word for me, but you know, those personalities at work or in a bar, we all have to figure out how to get along with these individuals because we have to be there. So that's really what that chapter was about. Oh, look, sure. And I fully, uh, I kind of fully expect if people, if some of my old customers listen to my podcast, uh, they'll wonder if I'm talking about them specifically in some of the stories that I talk <laughs> about too. And, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, they're, they're bar stories and we mean nothing but respect. There's nothing you can do. You know, <laughs> I, I tell people that being a bartender is much like being in human resources. Like, you know, you're in HR, you can't talk about stuff. You, you, you talk in generalities and, and, in the bartending industry, you have to, you can't, we can't get off work and go say, oh my God, tonight, there was this late, I mean, you're already <laughs> making them figure out who it is. So you have to be very uh, kind. <laughs> when it came to uh, bartending personalities, maybe you can uh, expand on it, help vouch for me on this sort of thing. Now, um, I tell people that I, when I was a bartender, uh, I had a pretty introverted personality and, and my friend Shannon, she was always awesome. She stuck up for me, and uh, uh, there. But there, you know, there was times where the customer would uh, go over to her and say, "You know, the dude he he was actually kind of mean. He said this," and then she'd start laughing and say, "You know, he was probably joking with you." And yeah, but there yeah. were also times where she, uh, they said, "You know, the dude won't. He doesn't really get into conversation with, with me." And her being as blunt as possible, just probably uh, she would usually just flat out tell him he probably doesn't like you. <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, like and this is your friend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's one of the things, great things that I have always appreciated about her is she was uh, always very blunt. She had enough patience to realize that most of the time when I, when I was saying something, it might have come off mean, but I, my intention was I was joking around. But. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I'll vouch for you for that, because I, you know, I, I remember at times, I mean, you have a short window. I I liken it to almost like an arranged marriage in a way like you don't know who you're going to get. You walk into the bar, the bartender's the bartender, the customer's the customer. I have no idea that you would just put on a 90 day probation one hour ago. And you have no idea that I'm 90 days behind on my rent. And I think my boyfriend or girlfriend is cheating on me and I just pulled the double. So we don't even know the background of each other. But in that moment, we are in a relationship. You need something for me and my job is to give it to you. But we're human. And when you're human, that's kind of where those those uh, idiosyncrasies start to come out. It's like, all right, well, oh, I may breathe a little bit. And you're reading that like he or she, they're frustrated with me. Right. <laughs> or the customer may say, um, this is a little a little weak. Could I get something a little stronger? Maybe they didn't order the right type of drink. You might have needed something with an extra half ounce or something. Right. And I may interpret that as are you attacking my bartending skills? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it goes back to communication. The message sent is rarely the message received. But we are in an environment of noise 
and people who may not be with their full faculties because they've had a couple <laughs> of drinks. It's a lot going on. So I think that's what makes this uh, position in, in the hospitality industry as a whole so important. So, yeah, I agree. A lot of times I, I was misjudged. Uh, they thought I meant something that I and I really didn't mean it that way. And I thought they meant something that they really didn't mean. I remember one time I was so upset at a customer because they didn't leave me a tip. And I mean, this I don't know. The tab was probably, uh, say, maybe like 120, 110, 120. And I, you know, you never look initially. You got it. Have a good night. And right. when I finally opened it, it was just a line right there. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this person took me through. I made three different versions of a margarita for them because they it wasn't right. And I listened to them. And I already started to form an opinion about this person only to lift up the receipt. And there was $40, ah, you know, yeah. so it's kind of one of those things where I was like, man, I could have really, I could have flew off the handle. I could have said something to them. I could have bad mouthed them to the person at the bar. I didn't even deserve it. So it taught me a lesson. Like maybe I need to slow down as well and kind of think of things all the, think things all the way through. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the best places to learn communication skills, I think, but it's also one of the most challenging Yes, that's an excellent point that you brought up that, you know, you need to, sometimes you need to slow down and take a look at the big picture first before passing judgment. But when you're working in the hospitality industry and you're going up 150 miles per hour, sometimes you don't have time to stop and think like that. And But luckily you got a great surprise of a nice tip on the tab. And yeah, and, and, and don't and, and not to get it twisted, there have been times there was nothing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that happened, but there have been several times that it was and I, I actually have a chapter in my uh, in my book and it the title of the chapter is LGBT, but that stands for let's get better at tipping. Yeah. And I talk about just the, the background of tipping and what it means and how we can conversely tip people in our lives. You can tip someone by just saying Hey, I was thinking about you. I hope you're doing okay. It's it's giving that extra effort, you know, to say thank you. And uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those things we all have to deal with. Sure. Now, here's a here's something that I see come across uh, a lot of my followers on Facebook, and I it's it's come uh, when I was a bartender, it came across uh, me a lot. Uh, do you have a story that goes along with this? When the customer comes up to your bar and says. Give me a vodka crayon. Do me a favor. Make it extra good for me. <laughs> now, I'm sure yeah. that's happened to you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and you being, um, being somebody that is well versed in communication, you know, do you have to sit back and try to decide what makes it extra good? You know, do, do, does that mean you want a tall glass? Does that mean you want more vodka? Cause I'm going to have to get charge you for a second shot, you know? Right. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I remember, you know, someone saying, you know, I'll have a margarita, but make it for me like I'm your cousin. And I was like, man, I hate my cousin. Like, I was just like, <laughs> I don't know how to, what do I like? Do I go into explaining that? I think they meant that in a good way. You know, but I think the hard thing is most people, um, you know, most people don't know how to fully and effectively communicate a drink. So a lot of times it's a little bit of handholding, you know, Hey, I like a margarita, but I need a good margarita and good to them could be, 
I need a lot of triple sec or good yeah. to them. Maybe like <laughs> I want a lot of tequila, you know? So I, I, if you can, I've always tried to add that extra few seconds say, you know, do you, do you want it, you know, a little like tequila forward or you want it sweeter or, you know, agave? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. Just make it good. <laughs> okay. So sometimes it's a little bit of mind reading, yeah. you know, and, and you try to, you know, and you know, when you have that customer that really knows what they're talking about, they sit down and they're like, Oh, I just, I'll have a whiskey. Oh, you know what? Let me get a single pot distilled. You know, you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Well you, well, okay. You are there versus <laughs> someone that's just like, I don't know what I want, but each one deserves our respect, our attention. And sometimes you got to work a little harder. So yeah, that is, if I don't know the customer, that's always been a little difficult. What a good is, or when they say, you know, I need something to really, you know, wake me up. So, um, that's just kind of part of the job is a little bit of being a mind reader. <laughs> right. I, um, you just saying that it reminds me of in my early days as a bartender, I made all my drinks pretty much by the book and, mm-hmm. you know, like Long Island iced tea, half shot vodka, gin, rum, triple sec, fill with, uh, Coke and sweet and sour. And some of the customers got really mad at me for that. And oh, yeah. they're like, this isn't the way I usually get it here. And I was like, well, that's the way you're supposed to make it. What do you want from me? And mm-hmm. all you asked for was a Long Island. <laughs> yeah. You know, I used to, <laughs> that I just, I literally just thought of this, you know, right before I went to bartending school and I was just, you know, I, and I don't think everyone, and we can talk about that later, has to go to bartending school. We don't have to do that. But right. before I really started to learn, um, I was by the book because I didn't want to get in trouble. And some people, when you <laughs> when you start measuring, when you pull <laughs> when you pull it out, they're like, "Oh God!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're a measurer, you know, and you get judged by it. And I remember one time I said, "I said, you know, this is kind of like," and I, I I hope I can say this on the podcast. This is kind of like sex. Like oh, we yeah. don't really know each other. Uh, we're just going to try this the first time, <laughs> and then you have to kind of tell me what you like. And I'm I'm here on the pleasing end. So you tell me, I'll make it right. But for right now, let's just kind of get it started. And then normally they're like, okay, okay, okay. And it kind of kind of ease up after that. But you know, when you have your regulars, it's like back of hand. You already know what to give them. So right. um, I think if if more customers understood that I'm going to make it the way it's supposed to be made, and then if you have any sort of you know levels to that, I can adjust. But it's really hard to just figure out what a person likes because some people I used to make that mistake. I was very early in my bartending career and I said, I make stronger drinks because people tend to like that. So I'd make the <laughs> I'd make the cocktail and then I grab the bottle and I hold it up and just like and float with the little and ladies like, oh, God, I'm driving. I'm like, Damn. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, I just so you can't really do anything across the board. So it's just really finding out that particular customers, you know what they like. Well, even that one particular customer, their tastes change over time as you serve them. Uh, exactly. I, yeah. one customer, she asked for a uh, vodka crayon and then she got mad at me that I just gave her one shot. And I was like, well, that's how a vodka crayon's made. And then, but as we got to know each other, uh, I started you know, making her drinks a little bit stronger and you, you know, you know how bartenders do it. You know, I mean, we may pour one drink a little bit strong for one customer, but we, recoup that cost by pouring a little light for another customer. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. uh, but as we uh, got to know each other, I started making the drinks she liked. Then all of a sudden one day she said, uh, this is a little bit too strong. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the way you like it. She was, well, I have this and this to do. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So then all of a sudden it changed. 
Uh, yeah, go ahead. but that's the that's the due diligence of both sides. We have to talk to each other. You know, if I know, you know, every Saturday morning you like chocolate pancakes and I'm making you chocolate pancakes. And then one morning you're like, I, uh, you know, I just I'm just really into blueberry. I mean, <laughs> there's no way for me to know that. So it's it, and I think most people who frequent bars as customers, they know Like case in point. I do the same thing. Any bar in New York City I walk into, 90% of the time, they already know what I'm drinking, and they're pouring it before I walk, before I even find a seat. And that's a sign of a great bartender. Sometimes, Sometimes. however, and that's norm- typically a whiskey. Mm. Sometimes I've gone somewhere, and it was Margarita Fridays, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm going into a bar, and I don't want him to grab that bottle of whiskey. So I'll walk in, I'll just raise my hand and go, until I get up to them, I'll say, hey, actually... I've been on like tequila, so let me just kind of get, you know, a, a Reposado neat or something like that. So it's they were right in doing what they know, you know, that I always like, but I needed to tell them that things had changed. So I think it's a responsibility kind of on both ends a little bit. Um, but most customers are not trying to come in and play matchmaker and love connection. Like, I just want to come in. I want my drink. I'm not trying to walk you through things. So right. we kind of have to be a bit of a, a, a creative when it comes to that. In in your book, like uh, like we've been talking about, you talk a lot about uh, bar personalities, and it, in my uh, humble opinion, uh, there's over seven billion different personalities on this planet. There, the odds of you not getting along with one of them are actually pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, without naming any names or embarrassing anybody, was there anybody? Uh, anybody like that for you or did you just or did you just roll with the punches or uh or did you treat them differently do you remember um you know there was a there was one uh type of personality and uh in my book i called this person insatiable iris and i had to first of all check to make sure i knew no irises and i did not <laughs> <laughs> but you know this 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 person this personality there was nothing i could do right i mean nothing would please them it was just impossible from my drinks too weak when i was too strong my food's too salty oh it's too cold and there's frustration you know because you have 15 other people that need you at any given moment but you still want to try to be as nice and accommodating and this particular character um Thankfully, I was patient <laughs> enough. And then one day, um, I felt like it was maybe six months later, but maybe it was sooner. But about four to five months later, um, they came in. And it was, this was actually a gentleman, but I just called it Insatiable Iris in the book. He came in and he finally said something to me. He said, you know, going through this divorce was is, is one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. You know, everything that I thought I was doing right in my marriage I was doing wrong. And I almost saw it as, you know, if the, many of my psychology people out there as, as a displacement, I said, okay, so he was really displacing that to me. So now everything I did was wrong because going through this divorce, he was finding out everything he did in the marriage was wrong. Mm-hmm. So when he came in the bar, he was already like, ah, oh, no, this isn't right. No, this isn't right. And it wasn't even about me. So I was kind of glad that I didn't, you know, rush judgment with, with him, but, you know, 
as customers or repeat customers, you become very close to them. You know a lot about their lives and their families and they share a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. And um, I think at the end, well, not at the end, but maybe once the divorce was final or something, he said, um, you know what? Hey, I, I, I know I've been an ass. I, I really appreciate you dealing with me. It just, it meant a lot. I, it just meant a lot. And I was like, Oh, that's what I'm here for. So I thought about what if I would have pushed back more or said, listen, buddy, da, 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 da. and it probably would have sent him somewhere else and somebody else would have got the brunt of that. So, um, you know, that's a character that always stands out in my mind because we don't, we don't know what the other person is going through and they don't know what we're going through from the server side. And I think it's just everyone being a little bit more accommodating to each other. Of course. Yeah. Something that just popped into my mind is uh, when you're a bartender, uh, when you're a bartender, we kind of develop our own uh, character or personality, kind of like we're standing on, you know, we're a character in a TV show or something like that. Mm-hmm. And one character that I was never able to do was sit there and talk about sports. I don't watch sports. I don't know statistics. I don't know anything. And some of the uh, some of my customers would try to talk about like the New York Yankees because I'm wearing uh, wearing a New York Yankees hat. And mm-hmm. then, but uh, I have to explain to them. I mostly wear this hat because I'm a big Billy Joel fan. And because I've, you know, he played Yankee Stadium one year and, but Andy's from New York, but um, they eventually started to realize, oh, this guy isn't a sports fanatic like most bartenders. If I want to talk to him, I got to talk about music. And Mm -hmm. then that's when our relationship, uh, relationship with the customer usually kind of went to the next level just because we found a common ground that I could talk with them about because I know nothing about sports. And Sports is a big deal in the bar industry. And also it comes along with, I usually warn my customers, okay, if we're going to talk about music, if you mention the Beatles, be prepared for at least a half hour long lecture because <laughs> I'm a huge Beatles fan. But Yeah, yeah. Um, but did you take on any kind of personality when you were uh, bartending or uh, was was it pretty much just you? Or did you discover uh... your your passion for stand-up comedy while being behind the bar? I think it was a lot of just being me. And I have always been a bit of a chameleon. You know, I was brought up, my grandparents um, took care of me. And when you have that generation gap, um, and I was an only child, you kind of have to be very creative. You know, lots of imaginary friends and all that. So by the time I got to like a bar, um, I was always a very shy kid, but at the bar, I found that I could just talk to people. And even if I didn't understand what they were saying, it was fine. I mean, case case in point, there was this, um, I'm a sports fan, so I'm okay with most sports. I could talk basketball, football. Mm-hmm. You're losing me a little bit with baseball, hockey. I get a little cross-eyed. So it's, it's <laughs> kind of like waivers from there, right? Yeah. And someone walked in and I'm I'm in Texas at the time, I remember. and I oh, So think, you got to know football. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like a, the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers, I think. Yeah, and this guy walks in and he's just ranting and raving about the 49ers. And he was like, did you see that call? Because there's TVs on and we're bartending, right? So they're always like, did you see that? And you're like, I was getting ice. I'm so sorry. But he said, did you see that call? I can't believe that. I just found being honest. I said, I didn't. I said, but I bet you will find football in that in that cocktail I just made you because I was focused on that ha 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 you know I just tried to divert it a bit 
But if I didn't know something, I had to actually say, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'd love to know more because I got caught doing that. Um, Sometimes I would just assume that they would stop talking to me if I agreed. So I'm busy, I'm making drinks, and someone would say something like, oh my God, let's talk about gentrification statistics in the Southeast. And I'm all like, oh, that's crazy. So that was like my default. That's that's crazy. And it didn't work one day. The person was like, well, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, ah. And I said, you know, honestly, I, I don't know what you were talking about. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, so now, you know, if I don't bartend anymore, but you know, if it were to ever happen again, I'd say, you got me there, but I'd love to hear about it. And then you get them talking and you can kind of do other things too, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I, I I agree with you. You almost want to be their friends. You want to do that, but you got to be careful. That's a slippery slope because some of them are repeat customers and they'll come back and they're like, oh, dude, I know you read that article, right? And you're like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can think of a number of times where I just quickly agreed with the customer just to end the conversation as quickly as possible. It was, yeah. you know, two things you don't talk about in the bar, politics and religion. So to oh, really put a cap on that, uh, opinion about whatever political situation um, may be happening. You just have to quickly agree with them just so you can move on with your day. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I've, see, I've seen a lot of um, arguments happen, especially in this late, this latest political climate, regardless of what side you're on. I've, I've had people really go at it. And, and uh, there's a chapter in my book called liquid courage. And I talk about, is it really something that we need? Does being an inebriated really give us the courage or does it hurt us and i've seen individuals you know they're on a few shots they're a few cocktails deep and it goes there quickly um especially in the last you know you know three four years and you have to know how to de-escalate you know people always have a difference of opinions um you know i'm i'm in new york city and i'm a dallas cowboy fan that alone (laughs) yeah is and I mean, I walk in, I mean, Jersey down, like, let's go. And you just have to, I'm respectful. You know, people come at me. I'm like, yeah, we can, we can agree to disagree that I'm not going to fight, but you know, you're also not going to misquote the facts about the Cowboys. So that's kind of, but everyone's not at that place. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the savior and the sin of, of alcohol is that unfortunately at times it can it can lower inhibitions. It can make people maybe say things they wouldn't say, or you're more um, emotional. And part of our job as bartenders is always to try to monitor that as much as possible. And if you see something happening, kind of try to jump in and diffuse it, make a little lighter drink, you know, mm. move people around. I mean, it's a lot. It's a multifaceted job. You're a bartender. You're a teacher. You're a bouncer. You're a, <laughs> yeah. a manager. It's it's a lot going on. So, um, yeah, I think especially now people are a lot more uh, vocal with their opinions about things and, and politics and, and socialist um, topics, you know, and socialism. So we have to really be a little more mindful of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, the babysitter portion of the bartender job, uh, when you see things start to get a little bit out of hand, maybe somebody walked in with uh, wearing the wrong hat and that upset somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, uh, when uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, cutting somebody off 
or even possibly 86ing uh, somebody. Did, was there ever a night where that was uh, really rough on you? Where, uh, like, a good regular customer, but they crossed the line or uh, something like that? Yeah, you know, um, I never had to have someone removed from an establishment, but I definitely had to have a conversation about, you know, cutting them off. And it's, it's delicate. Um, the, the chapter knowing when to cut someone off, it's, it's a delicate thing because they're not the same person they were when they walked in. So it's a bit of a, a dance. And I try to make it as, I try to be like that person in the store. Like if your card's declined and it's like a line of people, they're like, excuse me, I'm sorry. You know, I'm trying to, you're trying to yeah. like be as, as gentle as possible. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I think maybe four or five times I've had to do that. Um, two, they were regulars. So they got it. I was, you know, I was, you know, just to use a name. I was like, Jim, Jim, listen, you have to help me help you. I want you to still stay here. And the game doesn't come on for 30 minutes. So just let me. Just let me still give you some cocktails, make it a little light, have some water, and we're going to be cool, okay? Because mm. don't argue with this person over here. You're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, and other times it was someone I didn't know. And they're like, you didn't even make a strong drink in the first place. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> okay. But what I think now people are a lot more cognizant of the the problem if you don't do it. Because there have been so many stories of people who have left a bar. And unfortunately, they got into a car accident or lives were lost or, you know. Right. So and if what, what a lot of people don't understand, it's our job right. to make those calls. Because if I don't cut you off and I let you continue to drink and you get behind the wheel and something happens, they're coming right back to that bar. They're coming right back to me. And not only is my job lost or I may be facing criminal charges, but also the bar could be held accountable. So, you know, I hope that everyone understands that, you know, we're not, I, I, one of my favorite bartenders actually on my, I have a podcast too, not as popular as yours. I just started mine, dude, (laughs) but, but, um, I have the, my first, um, bartender and she was saying that she's like, I'm not trying to be the fun police here, but, there's a responsibility and, and it's so true. You know, you, you don't want to be that person, but if you're not that person and something bad happens, you'll regret it. So um, I'd rather someone be mad at me and say they're not coming back. Don't uh, when I did the right thing versus just letting them kind of carry on and continue drinking and that have like a negative effect of a situation. Sure. And after you've uh, diffused that situation told, and they, uh, pointed their finger, said, I'm never coming back here again. The odds are usually pretty good that they will come back eventually, whether or not they remember or want to acknowledge what happened that previous night, that's up or down. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> they'll come back. They'll come back like that weird ex that's in a party with you and they're on the other side of the bar. They'll come <laughs> back way down there and maybe use the other bartender. You're like, okay, it's cool. Or sometimes <laughs> it's just you and they're a little cold with you. And ultimately, it's okay. I've even had some come and come back and apologize profusely. Like, I'm really sorry. That was, that was messed up. That was messed up. I said, it's, it's okay. Like, listen, it happens, mm-hmm. you know, um, it happens. So it, it's also a bartender's not taking it too personally, right. you know? So now moving on other things that you talked about in your book that, uh, I've 
really found fascinating. Now, you talked about, or find it in my notes, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Come on, dude. What you doing? <laughs> I'm messing with you. <laughs> In one of your uh, in one of your chapters, you talk about catchy reminders in your phone contact list, and mm-hmm. um, and you kind of it sounded like it was kind of your way of remembering who's who, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, I just I would love for you to uh, go in to talk about a little bit more about that uh, because as, when I was a bartender, I was horrible with names, which kind of hurt my. Uh, hurt my clientele basis a little bit because like the song says, every, uh, where everybody knows your name, but right. I was usually pretty bad about it. Cause, and everybody would be, Hey man, dude, uh, lady, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so tell, uh, uh, tell me about that tool you used uh, for remembering people. Yeah. You know, I, um, yeah, that chapter, um, and I think that's the chapter, um, what are you serving and talking about? I talk about what a menu is and I go into like a menu is basically a, a list of available items for selection or per- a purchase at a restaurant. And menus are important because it's a description about what you're going to get. And all of us have been at the place where we are ordering as the customer and you order something and you're like, and they're like, oh, oh yeah, we don't have that anymore. Or yeah, well actually that's not really how it's prepared. It's prepared this way and it's prepared that way. And <laughs> I thought, you know, that same thing can be applicable to regular life. What are we serving? What are we presenting when we meet people, right? And I thought about, you know, when you go to these networking functions or you're at a bar and you meet someone and sometimes you meet you I'm using my air quotes here. You meet <laughs> your best friend at the bar and they're like, Oh, put my number in your phone. You're like, Yeah. So I would always forget. So I had this system of putting kind of keywords in to remind me of who that person was. So uh, there was this one time I was at this taco place. Uh, it's in Harlem. Uh, it's no longer open, but it was called Sexy Taco Dirty Cash. Like that's the name for you. Oh. So it was a gr- great place. It was one of my local cheers. And, you know, I met this group of people. They were cool. We're drinking. We're buying each other shots. And at the end of the night, this guy's like, oh, yeah, put my number in your phone. And I'm like, all right. What's your name? He was like, my name's Ken. I said, okay. So I said, put your number in. I pass him my phone. He puts his number in. And then typically that person passes it back. And you're like, okay. And I'm writing in there, Ken. And then I put a little comma. And then I put pimple. And then I put a comma. And then I put taco. Ken, pimple, taco. And I'm like, okay. So it's like weeks later. And I'm going through my phone. And I'm like, who? Who is Ken Pimple Taco? (laughs) Because unfortunately, you know, he had some acne Mm. problems. And I remember Pimple. And I also remember that he had this insatiable appetite for tacos. He just kept eating all the tacos. (laughs) But he didn't make a good enough impression for me to really remember who he was. So the chapter about what are you serving, it's about really making sure you're presenting your true self at the moment and you're memorable to people. So they won't have to be like, uh, you know, like I, and to this day, I keep it in my phone in case I run into him and he's like, you never could, you don't even have my number. And I'll be like, look, it's right here, <laughs> but I won't let him see the pimple taco part, but just like, it's right here. Ken, I see you. But you know, it, that's what it's about. Sometimes we try to present our best selves and we have to be memorable to people. And I think, especially when you're in a bar environment, trying to remember 
all those people, you have to make little notes. And that was my system. So clearly sometimes it fails, but most times it works. Uh, there has been a number of times where it was, I didn't remember the guy's name, but I definitely recognized the guy because he, uh, he was the only guy in the bar that wore a Mets hat. Uh, in Oregon, if you saw somebody wearing a Mets hat, that meant mm-hmm. they were a Mets fan. No, you know, it, they weren't wearing it just to be trendy or anything like that. Cause right. Uh, you know, they were just genuine Mets fans. So that was a uh, way I got to know the guy. But for the life of me to this day, I cannot remember his name. So, yeah. <laughs> so just those little cues that those help out. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's not fair because some people, for example, for me, I'm, I'm close to six feet. So most people will remember a woman who's six feet tall, Yeah, you know? So I walk in and they're like, Hey, LD. And I'm like, Uh, hey you know so i you have to kind of really be i have i try to do a better job and you know if you have somebody and they had pink hair you will always remember them but most people just kind of blend in and it has to be certain things that you know they have to uh, say or do that that stand out and it's no one's fault but you know if you're going to try to remember them you need to try to either make a note or you know find some sort of system that works for you yeah now, moving on in your book, you talk about a little bit about your uh, your pr- uh, professional life uh, as of now since you've left the bartending industry, and now uh, and you've made a lot of realizations that uh, a lot of the stuff that you learned specifically in customer service were translatable to your new professional life. Um, mm-hmm. What what things in particular? Well, when did you realize it, and what things in particular did you? realize, oh, this really works here. Yeah. um, I think when I started, um, I graduated from grad school. I got my MBA. I started working at uh, one of the top tobacco companies in the country. So I'm working there and you're learning skill sets in terms of selling. And uh, it really wasn't until after I left the company and I had some success. I'm like, wow, I was really good at selling. And didn't think anything about it. I went on to other consumer products companies. I worked at a soft drink company. I worked for a beer manufacturer. And in each of those, as we were in marketing, customer marketing, um, consumer facing events, I realized I kind of had this thing. And people were like, you're really good at talking to people and getting executives on a higher level to kind of understand what you're saying. Or if it was someone from a level below you kind of making it in, a, in layman's terms a little easier for them to understand. And as I said, a couple of years ago, when I started thinking about this book, that's when it all started to tie back. Um, there's a chapter in my book and I laugh because it's sometimes it's hard to say without laughing. There's a chapter in my book is called how to masturbate. Now, hold on. I don't want to get your audience upset. Now. <laughs> it's called how to masturbate, but it's how to master bait, right. B-A-I-T, how to be a master salesperson, how to be able to ask those questions at the right time. So, um, you know, even as a bartender, there's a certain window when right before that drink is done, if you can get in when there's a little bit left, hey, can I get you another one? And they're like, yes, but you wait too long. They've been sitting there. The drink's empty. They're sipping water. They don't want to drink. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to kind of... um master that ability with timing was something that I did very well as a bartender and it translated in 
corporate America, you know, when you're consumer facing and you're working with clients, you have to, one, be comfortable in silence. And I had to learn that as a bartender, when a person's thinking, um, and you really want to leave them and go make another drink and you're just like staring, you have to be patient and comfortable in that moment, that pregnant pause, that silence. And it's the same in corporate America, you know, um, being able to just sit and wait for them. Because normally in negotiations in business, the one who jumps first is kind of they've kind of lost. You know, we both are at a standstill. We don't know what we want to agree on. Mm. And it's silence on the phone or in the conference room. And that person goes, you know, I think and it's like, gotcha. So <laughs> I think I learned that from being a bartender, just being comfortable in that patience and the silence and just saying, you know what, why don't you, I don't want to rush you. Uh, I'm just going to step right here and just make this drink and, and maybe you'll like what I make and think about it. And they'll say, okay. So a lot of those things were just transferable to me. Um, there was another chapter, uh, be careful starting in a bar tab, which was a funny one because as a bartender, we've had all those situations where people at the end of the night, it was happy hour from five to seven, but now it's 10 o'clock and they're still there. And all we're doing is giving them the t <laughs> the tab and it's like $300 and they're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the same thing. So that chapter is about being careful, adding things that you haven't completed yet. You know, so even in, in business, I found that I tried to complete a task first. If I had two or three things, complete that, send that email, finish that PowerPoint and move on to the next thing. Because as I had 20 things that I was halfway finished with, I felt already spent. I felt, you know, um, like I was already insufficient. I didn't have the, the mental cash to pay it. So it was just kind of that combination of being at a bar, knowing people who, you know, they're starting a bar tab, they're not checking in, and now it's a bill they don't want to pay. Mm. And in corporate America, having all these assignments and you sign up for all these um, organizations and clubs and everything and and not being able to have the mental currency to pay it. So um, all of those things just kind of translated to the business world for me. And that's uh, really encouraging for uh, a lot of the people that are feel like that they are stuck in uh, the restaurant industry. You know, it, the, a lot of the stuff that they learn in the re restaurant industry is transferable. And uh, mm -hmm. I like that you encourage that. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I absolutely love that you encourage uh, it was funny because uh, I read this part of the book uh, right before I went into this restaurant one night and I could see that the waitress, she hated her job. She didn't want to be there that night, whatever reason, whatever personal problems she was going on, uh, was going on in her life. And then I started remembering the chapter where you mentioned your term fire yourself mm -hmm. and uh, that it's okay. Now uh, you, which you quickly prefaced it by saying, don't just decide you're unhappy and quit your job without something else to bounce back on. And, uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I love that you encourage uh, that way of thinking. If you... Yeah, you know, Go ahead. It, it was um, that chapter was written because I thought about many times I go into my favorite bar and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, where's where's Tasha? Where's Tim? And they're like, Oh yeah, he left. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, I've been, this guy's been my bartender for three years. What do you mean? He just left, but he didn't just leave. You know, I think bartenders also, and what most people don't realize most bartenders, 
some that is their career aspiration and there's nothing wrong with that. There's right. an amazing documentary. I think it's called Hey Bartender. Uh -oh. And it talks about those who um, go into it. This is a, now it's a career path. They love it. But most bartenders are doing that because they're like, you know, I'm working my way through school. I'm on Broadway. I'm trying to do this. I need some extra money. And they always have to know when to leave. And that's something in the service industry uh, because the fuse is so short, a lot of people in hospitality have to make that decision. It's time to go. And it's a hard decision to make. And that's the same that could be said in, in your personal life. You know, you could be at a job where you're unhappy <clears throat> or you could be in a situation in a marriage or a relationship that you're unhappy and you kind of have to fire yourself before someone fires you and it a couple of good things it just allows you to kind of pre-plan what the next steps are you know um and also it helps you save yourself you know that particular waitress you were talking about i mean who knows what was going on with her right uh but unfortunately this is one of those industries you can have a bad day but you're still customer facing and you have to there's a couple things that have to happen you have to greet the person. You have to have somewhat of a pleasant personality or attitude. You have to deliver service in a timely fashion and, and, and close out, you know. Um, and if you find you can't do that, if something's going on in your life that's preventing you from being your best self at the job, you will probably have to check yourself and, and fire yourself, you know. And in the book, we talk about not only firing yourself from a job, but relationships and friendships, you know, sometimes you have to walk away from friends that you've been friends for years. And unfortunately, something has happened. And I always tell people that we are ever growing beings. You know, the the LD of 22 is not the LD of 32. You know, the mm -hmm. dude of 15 is not the dude of 35. Right. So when you get with someone, they kind of have to love and respect you at your core because, you're always going to be changing. And and I think um, in the service industry, you have to think about that. Like, I love making cocktails. I love this bar. I love the hours. But right now, I just really don't enjoy. Um, it could be the customer base has changed. It could be the, the drink menus changed. All of a sudden, they could say, you know, right now, we are a true mixology bar. No one else can order a vodka and cranberry, you know, if, yeah. if it's not muddled or lit on fire or you know, <laughs> something, we're not doing it. And you have to decide, well, this, that's not for me. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to give everything away in the book, but I talk about a personal situation where I had to fire myself and it was very hard. And I had, I didn't know what was next, but I did know that I, by leaving, I was able to still save some of my self. So I wasn't depleted for the next thing. And I think that's just really what um, kind of that chapter is about. Mm. Well, you know, I can really appreciate the uh, where people take themselves. It, they use uh, some most of the time the service industry gets used as a springboard to take you somewhere else as preparation for something else. You obviously has, have done well with uh, you, you were a bartender, server, hostess uh, before becoming a comedian, working in corporate America. Uh, I've, uh, purposely gone on the internet to look for a list of celebrities who were bartenders or servers before they became famous. Uh, mm -hmm. Chris Rock, Ellen DeGeneres, if you hear this, please give me a call. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but just being able to recognize that, uh, you know, you're just not happy or you've lost kind of, uh, kind of lost track of what your direction was. And that's, what's not making you happy allowing yourself to do something about it. That it's just, I like the fact that it's like giving you permission to, uh, move on. It, mm-hmm. at least that's what I took from the chapter. I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if I missed the whole message, but no, you, you, you got it. That's, that's exactly what it's about. And I think bartenders more than anyone, they realize when it's time to go. I mean, it's such an exhausting job. There's so much that you do in terms of prep and, and let's be clear. Every bartender doesn't have a bar back. Sometimes right. <laughs> you are your bar back. You have to do it yourself. So, um, it's it's a lot, you know, um, especially in areas where it's heavily populated. You have to be ready and you you have to be on your A game because your customers will call you out. Your regulars will call you out. Your boss will call you out. And you have to do what's best for yourself because your name is your brand. And especially if you want to continue to work in the bartending industry, um, you want to be someone that's known for good drinks, good conversation you know, taking care of the customers, having great suggestions about the menu, you know, all those things. And, and you have to do that due diligence of, wow, I just, it's not for me. I'm out. And mm. I don't think anyone would ever fault someone for that. We're going to take a break with our interview with LD Moreau for just a minute to remind you guys, if you want to check out some more information on Hey Bartender Podcast, go to heybartenderpodcast.com and check out my blog, check out the drink recipe I have up there, uh, check out some of the t-shirts, help support the show, buy yourself a t-shirt, and a couple other things you might find. You never know. Go to heybartenderpodcast.com. One more thing before we get back to our interview with LD Moreau, I'd like to introduce this episode's musical guest. This week, we are featuring Arts Fishing Club with their single, Shaking for Your Love.
Once again, that was Arts Fishing Club with Shaking for Your Love. If you want to go check out more from Arts Fishing Club, head on over to Bandcamp.com. They got all sorts of music there. You can find out a lot more tracks that Arts Fishing Club has put out. And you can find all their contact info. It's a great place to go to. But until you do that, let's get back to the interview with L.D. Moreau as she talks about her book, Think Like a Bartender, Recipes for Life. Quickly, just a uh, uh, kind of wrap things up a little bit. Uh, I really enjoyed the chapter where you talked about how incredibly supportive your grandparents uh, were for you, that they helped you go to college there and they were always very encouraging with pretty much everything that you did seemed like. Was that a a dedication to them or a quick homage to them? Um, it, it was, um, I think the chapter, um, stop losing weight. I talked about, um, when my, my mother passed and I was about eight years old and, you know, my grandmother, my grandparents were responsible for getting me ready for school because at the time my mom was working as a nurse. And, um, I talked a little bit about their influence on me, not being so impatient, you know, yes, that's what and, I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On, on not being so impatient. And, uh, I think that that's something, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, think about those things until you become of age and things start to really make sense. And you realize, wow, they were telling me all along something that, you know, now I'm only seeing when I'm an adult. Um, and I, I, and it is an, it is an homage to them and it is a dedication to them because um, I found patience to be, if I had to list one of my top three characteristics of myself, it would be my ability to be patient so much so that my friends are extremely frustrated with me at times because as i mentioned i'm in new york city and you know true new yorkers nah, you know not, not a lot of patience over there on that <laughs> side you know and i'm originally from texas and sometimes I'm like oh i'm just gonna think through it they're like you need to throw that stuff on the street you know so <laughs> i i had to i never change who i am so i'm like 
this is who I am. This is who my grandparents brought me up to be. And I can't change because of the part of the country I moved to. So, yeah, that chapter was definitely a dedication to them for me to to be patient and to to listen. Um, And later on in the book, (laughs) you know, I won't give it away, but they they come back again. But this time I'm, you know, revealing some things to them and, you know, it's, it's a little comical, but, you know, they, they definitely are the, the mainstays to, to who I am and, and, and the pillars to me. So, uh, and I didn't, my grandmother never drank. I mean, when we went to church and she had the wine, I mean, the little cup of wine, we had to mm-hmm. hold her and take her to the car. Like she was that <laughs> much of a, she was that much of a lightweight. My grandfather was more of a, you know, every once in a while, but I never really saw him drink. I didn't even grow up in a household where alcohol was a part of anything. It came much, much later in life to me. And then, you know, through the, the college experience and then and then finessing it. So now I go to whiskey and tequila tastings. But every time I'm there, I think of my grandparents, even though they didn't. That wasn't a part of who they were. It's it's the quality, you know, that that I associate with them. So they're all in and through the in and through the book. And I don't want people to think this is just a book that's cut and dry about liquor and work and liquor and work. I mean, I reveal a lot of personal things in this book about myself and a lot of funny stories as well. So I think that's kind of what makes it holistically, you know, me. Definitely. And I, I absolutely thought it fit perfectly in the book because everybody wants to know their bartender and you're telling, uh, telling stories, working, uh, in the service industry. And you're also revealing a little bit about yourself at the same time, which I thought went together perfectly. Yeah, I've even thought about um, adding a second uh, layer to the book. So, you know, the book is available in print and ebook and audiobook. I thought, listen, for the right amount of money, I will come to your house and I will make drinks and I will just recite the book. You can just invite your friends <laughs> over. I'll just talk through the book while I'm making cocktails. Yeah, it's, that's I've, not a real offer, but, you know, that, never say but never, that would right? Be, that would be a really <laughs> interesting thing because, uh, you know, I've seen popular authors do book readings uh, at bookstores or whatnot, but nobody said you couldn't uh, do a book reading at a bar while serving drinks. <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be like a one-woman stage play yeah. at a bar. <laughs> that would actually be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, Eldie Moreau, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. Just to remind everybody out there, her book is called Think Like a Bartender. If uh, LD, uh, would you like to tell any of my listeners where else they can find you, find out more about you, or even your podcast? Sure. Um, so the book right now is available for pre-order on Amazon. Uh, it's Think Like a Bartender: Recipes for Life. Uh, the book is also available through audiobook and in print. And each medium gives you a different experience of the book um, on the website www.thinklikeabartender.com it talks more about the book and you can also order Uh, there's also Instagram at thinklikeabartender I just post pictures of my favorite bars favorite recipes and favorite moments and uh, finally the podcast is also Think Like a Bartender available on all the platforms Spotify, Anchor, iTunes and basically the podcast is about I interview a bartender each you know, each time. And that particular bartender, we talk about a chapter in the book. So we think and we drink and we talk about things and and life. And it just really gives the listener 
the ability to actually learn more about the bartender because most times we're listening to you. This kind of flips it and reverses it. So um, a lot of different mediums out there and I uh, appreciate all the support. And anybody, seriously, I, I can come to your house and make the drinks and <laughs> recite the, the book. I mean, let's, you know, we can make it a, ho- a house party. That's cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again uh, for being on the show and, uh, you know, just, uh, I wish, wish you good luck with, uh, with your book sales and well, with your career. Thank you. Thank you so much, dude. It was amazing to be a part of this podcast that I've been a fan of for so long. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, people. It is last call for the Hey Bartender podcast. I'd like to thank LD Moreau once again for being on the show. And everybody go check out her book, Think Like a Bartender, Recipes for Life, available in digital format on Amazon and iTunes, and soon to be available in analog format at your at your local bookstore. I'd also like to thank Arts Fishing Club for allowing me to use their single Shaking for Your Love. Remember, you can go check them out on bandcamp.com. And I'd like to thank the listeners out there. Remember, guys, if you want to go check out a little bit more about Hey Bartender Podcast, join us on Facebook, Hey Bartender Podcast, uh, Instagram, Hey Bartender Podcast, Twitter, Hey Bartender PO1. And we also got a website, www.heybartenderpodcast.com with the blog. And help support the show by picking up a t shirt or two. But until next time, I'd like to remind all of you, lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anybody. Good night. I felt so good, I had to blow again. I said, hey, bartender.